Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. Well, it has been a roller coaster, crazy ride through the current election cycle. And while none of us are quite sure what to expect in January, one thing that I firmly believe is we're about to see another major boom in clean energy jobs. No matter what side of the aisle you are on, we can all agree that renewables and clean energy is one of the prime answers to climate change. We hope that our governments, not just here in the United States, but around the world, would continue to support that, especially in a year like this one with the pandemic and other surprises that have thrown us off course. While I'm excited at the prospect of the United States possibly joining the Paris Accord again, which I expect will usher in major ESG investments that'll lift the clean economy to new heights, we must also be conscious that the rising tide does not always raise all boats at the same rate or with equal buoyancy, so to speak. And it was with this realization that we need to help our industry leaders with tactical means to improve the overall diversity, equity, and inclusion of our companies as we grow, that we hosted the first annual Suncast Career Summit back on September 1st to 3rd of this year. What you're about to hear is a recorded keynote from day two of the summit, and it features some amazing leaders in our industry from Clean Energy for Biden, Grid Alternatives, LightSource BP, and even SIA's own president, Abby Hopper. And they all spoke on the incredible opportunity for renewables to lead as we do, in fact, build back better post-pandemic and post-whatever the last four years will be called. Now, video replays are part of what we call the evergreen ticket for our career summit. You'll hear a couple of times the link mentioned in the episode, so I'll forego that here, but they're still available for purchase. And there are 10 other sessions that are well worth the $50 ticket price, but I have a goodie for just the listeners of this show, if you use the code TRIBE20, that's TRIBE20, you'll get, you guessed it, 20% off. So only $40 for that Evergreen Ticket exclusive offer to Suncast Podcast listeners. That's TRIBE20 at the events.mysuncast.com URL. I hope that you'll enjoy this. And if you do find it valuable, would you please share it with others in your company and community? For now, let's tune in to another Tactical Tuesday flashback here on Suncast. Welcome, welcome back to session two of day two of the Suncast Career Summit. We are so honored that you've chosen to give us the one non-renewable resource that you have, and that's your time. Uh, we are joined today by an all-star cast of clean energy executives uh, and an all-female cast at that uh, we are here to explore how clean energy jobs can lead the recovery. Uh, specifically, where are we going? How can we get there? How is clean energy poised to lead the energy transition? We are broadly speaking about how you can get into the clean energy business and how if you are a business already in this industry, how you can diversify your workforce uh, thinking through your inclusive, inclusive and equitable strategies to build out a workforce that is more representative. Uh, we have had an amazing day yesterday uh, that I recapped early this morning, uh, all about how as a hiring manager or as a company, you can think about DE&I in your own uh, strategy. We had some phenomenal uh, folks that came on to uh, give us insights there. Every now and then I do forget that I'm behind this screen. So we'll pull that down now and say, hello, my name is Nico. I'm the founder of Suncast Media and uh, part of the team that is bringing this show to you today. 
Uh, I'm going to do an intro like we did this morning, sort of a round robin uh, intro one by one of each guest. Each one has a particular perspective on how clean energy can lead the recovery uh, from their various uh, viewpoints as, uh, as leaders in the industry. Uh, before I jump into that, I do want to say thank you, as you uh, noticed from that fantastic uh, commercial, thank you to LightSource BP for uh, helping us uh, bring this show to life, being our title sponsor. Thanks also to Solaris Global, Solar S- Soul Systems, Dylan Green, PVEL, uh, let's see, Amicus uh, Operate, O&M Cooperative, and so many others who have contributed to, uh, with time and resources, helping uh, this event uh, come to you today. If you have registered at suncastcareersummit.com, then you've probably already received an invite into our uh, private community. Uh, and you also had a chance to be watching, likely you're watching at, uh, at events.mysuncast.com right now. If not, maybe you're one of those who are joining us live on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. You can use the comment section down below, whether no matter what platform you're on. Put your comments and your questions in, and we'll be curating those. We're going to hold them towards the end to interact with the panel with your live questions. Uh, So thank you for that. And lastly, uh, I would encourage each of you, if you haven't registered, to go to suncastcareersummit.com and register because you can get access to our private community where hundreds of folks are in there posting their job opportunities, raising their hand as a job candidate, interacting with, with one another across uh, a myriad of topics. And uh, we've got world-class companies like LightSource and Next Tracker, Solar Energy International, Madison Energy, and others that are inviting folks to apply for jobs. Uh, and you get access to me and our tribe of industry insiders. So I hope that you'll take an opportunity to jump in there and, uh, and look at what we're doing uh, in, in that regard. So today we want to talk about how the clean energy industry is taking an active role in rebuilding America, not only in a post-COVID environment, but as we see massive transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy at at, at the level of our electric grid. American solar jobs have increased over 167% over the past decade. Solar Foundation and SIA have done a fantastic job in the solar industry of categorizing and and classifying how our industry has lifted folks into new and exciting roles in uh, in jobs. We've added over 156,000 jobs. And in a five-year period, solar employment increased 44%, which is five times faster than job growth overall in the U.S. economy. Uh, Solar jobs increased in 31 states last year. Uh, Florida, notably uh, leading the nation for number of jobs added. And about two-thirds of U.S. solar workers are employed at installation and project development firms. If you aren't sure what that means, then you should certainly check out our first panel because we talk about uh, how to get into the industry. Uh, Other areas of work that we see uh, in showing up in the job census is manufacturring, O&M, sales, and, and sales and marketing. And notably... For especially for today's panel, uh, which is 100% women, uh, women only make up 26% of the solar workforce. We've got our work cut out for us there. Uh, and Latino, Hispanic workers make up 17%. Asians make up 9%. Black and African-American workers make up 8%. Uh, also, 8% are military veterans. So that's a brief overview for you of the way that jobs are categorized and broken down um, thanks to the data that we've got from Solar Foundation. Uh, One of the leaders in our industry who has taken uh, deep interest in how we define our category, not just as solar and storage, but as renewable energy and a leadership position is Abby Hopper. Abby is the president and CEO of Solar Energy Industries Association, also known as SIA. And uh, she is uh, a, a strong advocate for the activities happening in the solar industry, including government affairs, research, uh, industry leadership, and focused on creating a marketplace where solar will constitute a significant percentage of American energy generation. Abby, I'd like to welcome you to the stage. How are you doing today? I'm good, Nico. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. It is my pleasure. Uh, I am uh, I'm outclassed in generally every way uh, <laughs> by those of you who are joining us today. But I will say that um, the your your attire and, and you all will see 
the attire is stunning and, and they've taken it to another level on today's panel. So uh, thank you for showing up in all the ways that you do, Abby. Oh, well, thank you. I really, I appreciate the invitation, Nico. I think um, I'm incredibly honored to, to share the stage with my colleagues here. It's such a great opportunity. I wish we were in person. You can yes. see all of my fabulous dress, but you only can see the top part. Um, yeah. But to all of the folks that are joining us, um, you know, who are thinking about coming into our industry, uh, we welcome you. We want you here. We need your voice. We need your experience. So um, strap in and listen to this great conversation. We're super glad that you're here. Absolutely. So Abby, I listened uh, at last year's SE, SPI to your uh, inspiring speech on the solar plus decade. Mm-hmm. SIA has a decade long vision of how solar and storage um, can have a leadership role in job creation. Can, can you give us an overview of this plan and the policies that SIA is championing to bring this to fruition? Yeah, absolutely. So because you kind of introduced this conversation, you talked about the amazing job growth uh, in the solar industry. And while it's been incredible, we're, we're only just getting started, right? We know that we're about 250,000 strong pre-COVID. Um, we have about two and a half percent of electricity generation in this nation. So as we think about the next decade, right, what can we accomplish in the 2020s? Uh, we have we have labeled it the solar plus decade. And so that means we're going to go from two and a half percent to about 20 percent of our nation's electricity generation from solar. Obviously, storage will be a critical piece of that. We add in land based wind and offshore wind and hydro. And just there, we're at over 50 percent. Um, so it's part of a, a sort of, to your point, a holistic look at what our clean energy economy will look like. Um, I like to talk about a radical transformation because I really believe that we're going to change the way that um, customers utilize energy, think about energy, and uh, create and own their own energy sources. But if we think about the job piece, right, because that's why we're here today. Um, as I said, pre-COVID, about 250,000 Americans were employed in solar at the beginning of this of this year. If we achieve that goal, we'll have over 600,000 Americans, wow. right? So that is an incredible opportunity to bring folks in to our industry. Um, but it really matters. I know we're going to get to this. It really matters that we do that intentionally, right? That we create an equitable workforce, that we create a just workforce, that our customers, our our services, our products are available to everybody. And so part of that thinking and that long-term strategy um, is based on that. Just some dollars, like over, you know, $340 billion of investment. So this is, you know, this is big business. This is wealth creation. This is think of what company you work for or you own. And what part of that growth is going to be yours? Like, go take it. Um, we're at, you know, eight, however many, you know, 13, 12, 13 gigawatts last year that we installed. We'll be over 500 if we accomplish this goal. So it is, um, obviously, I'm incredibly inspired by it. Um, it's, it's aggressive, but absolutely attainable. Yeah, I, I love the... Um... The role that we have taken and the the advocacy done by SIA and SIPA and all of the state-level organizations like CALSA and COSIA, mm-hmm. MDVCA, uh, how, have you, uh, how have you seen uh, from a leadership perspective that uh, clean energy really has become a local game? Yeah. So, I mean, you know me, I come from state politics, so I love the local game. Um, doesn't matter where you sit. If you're a policymaker, if you sit on a city council or you sit in the United States Senate, you care about jobs um, and you care about what your constituents want. And those two things have come together at every level of government. So constituents want their governments to endorse clean energy, right? We have so many local cities and towns and ordinances that have call for 100% clean energy. Um, and then customers, right? So customers of corporates want clean energy. And so when you start to aggregate all of these desires together, it changes the conversation so that we are talking about how do we do this more quickly, not whether or not we're going to do it. Um, and our allies and our partners at the state level are incredibly impactful and huge part, um, supporters of what we're doing. Yeah. uh, And we've uh, interviewed a number of them on Suncast. It is really remarkable, the work that's going on. 
at the state house level in every mm-hmm. state across the land. Uh, I mean, everyone uh, can attest that not only um, like Vote Solar and the work they're doing that has brought, uh, for example, Florida to be the number one job growth in in the land. Uh, the advocacy that you all uh, that you all initiate and carry across the finish line has had a huge impact on the jobs and the opportunity that we all benefited from. So I thank you. I'm going to bring up. Uh, so Abby, I'll bring you back in just a moment. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I would encourage everyone if you have questions for Abby as she comes back on in a minute please post them in the comments wherever you might be watching this. If you're watching as a replay, I'm sorry, but you can probably find her <laughs> online and ask her again. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to bring up Emily next. So thank you, Abby. Next, we have Emily Wangerman of LightSource BP. Emily is the Vice President of Business Development at LightSource BP and leads uh, business development, defining and executing the company's marketing strategy, including customer origination, mergers and acquisitions, and wholesale power marketing. Uh, Emily, it's so good to have you here again today. Uh, thanks for having me, Nico. It's a, it's a pretty impressive group, so I'm excited to be on it. Well, you all have uh, impressive backgrounds, and uh, it's it's so easy for me to step out of the way uh, when I have a chance to, uh, to have you all uh, to speak for our industry and about what our industry is doing. So thank you for joining. Wind and solar uh, and other renewables are, uh, well, wind and solar in particular are now half of all new power generation, uh, with solar growing at more than 60% in the next decade expected. Uh, in order for new renewables to truly grow and make a huge impact, however, we must move beyond just the true electricity markets and the energy sector, uh, as you and I have talked about before. What are the ways that the utility sector will support the transformation of the energy grid and where are the, and where are the big job opportunities? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, you know, I think to start, I really like the idea of oh, we're only getting started. So I appreciate Abby's comment there. You know, it really is true that we are still a niche market. And I think I've mentioned this earlier. Um, you know, we're at two and a half percent, three percent of the market. And, you know, to really make a huge impact, we're, we are going to and that's going to be in the next decade. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past, Nico, is that, um, you know, big industry coming in and making big investments is going to help us grow. Um, so some of the ways that we're going to grow, like the announcement that BP made of, you know, introducing 50 gigawatts by 2030. I mean, that's a massive investment and that's going to help us change the energy industry. And the reason I mentioned those is because when you start changing the energy industry, the solar industry itself will have the opportunity to also shape how we're changing the energy industry. And so when we grow, um, you know, for instance, our team in itself is growing, um, you know, we just grew, I think we grew like 40 people in the last year and we're growing just for the U.S. team. And we're going to have 40 more people next year. And right now we have open positions across the company. And so I think when we think about growth, not just in the industry, we're thinking about how we're growing and the diversity inclusion of that growth. And so I think it's really important as the solar company, uh, solar industry becomes a larger part of the energy industry, we also have to make sure we are advocating advocating for the right growth and, and considering diversity and inclusion there. So from an actual technology perspective, where do I think a lot of that growth is going to come from? I think it's going to be in the near term with co-location of solar and storage. Um, and with that, I think you're going to help drive, you mentioned, you know, what's going on with the grid, how are we going to influence the grid of things and things like that. Um, just by having solar and storage on the grid, it introduces more opportunity for the grid of things because you'll have this dispatchable resource that um, we can benefit from. Additionally, I think it'll introduce changes, much needed changes in the power markets, for instance, introducing the much needed changes that have been talked about for over a decade in the um, transmission system and the overall queue process, as well as introducing new products. Um, So, you know, making sure that renewables are um, incented to behave correctly. Um, In other words, you know, that we we, uh, generate when we need it and we don't when we don't. And so, uh, you know, finding ways to introduce new products from a rate design perspective, as well as from an overall power markets perspective are really important. And then I think you asked me another question around, you know, how can we drive um, 
you know, the broader change in the market. And there, you know, I think a couple of really good examples are, um, you know, our project with Everest, um, that's a steel mill. You know, I don't think I would have told you a couple of years ago that I'd be, you know, partnering A with BP and B with, uh, you know, a major steel company in Colorado. But, you know, I, what I love is that uh, the Everest CEO recently said that they're going to be producing the greenest steel products in the world because of our project. And I think that's incredible because that means we're taking solar and renewable energy and moving beyond just that energy industry into, you know, heavy industry. And then I think the last example of that is moving beyond it through, um, you know, things like um, further decarbonizing transportation. And we've talked a bit about that in the past where, um, we've actually had the opportunity to, to do a project with BP on uh, green hydrogen. So our solar is actually going to be the fuel stock uh, for the hydrolysis process. And so, again, that's addressing heavy fuels, heavy industry, you know, things that really are going beyond the traditional electricity industry and driving forward much needed change. And all of those, at the end of the day, bring jobs, right? At the end of the day, you asked, how are we, how are jobs coming along? For instance, the deal that we have with Evraz, it's actually, it's, um, you know, Abby mentioned that's important to engage in the, in the community and have the community engaged. The community in Pueblo were absolutely engaged. Um, you know, a thousand jobs are staying in Pueblo because of Evraz committing to signing contract with us and with Excel for this project because they're saving money. They're fundamentally saving money for their, for their, on their electricity bill. And therefore they were able to commit to staying in the community and that's a thousand jobs. I mean, that's not a small amount. And then you additionally have some other jobs on top of it. So there's really, you know, I think there's tons of ways for the solar industry to grow um, it, from an overall jobs perspective. Uh, they're local jobs. You know, every time you build a no so, new solar job, they're local and it makes a big difference. Yeah, and the scale that we're seeing with with utility scale solar in particular is hundreds and thousands. Uh, uh, whereas in other sectors um, where folks are get, uh, counting the the job increase, it can be uh, dozens and and tens of dozens. Uh, that's one of the things that for me is amazing uh, about how large utility plants. I was talking to uh, Regan at Swinerton. Um, every large scale utility plant that you all are building will have, you know, dozens of folks working on it. Not unlike we see at traditional fossil fuel plants um, yep. for that operations and maintenance. I think that's one of the things that people miss is they say, oh, but that's, you know, 500 jobs that are temp jobs just to build the plant. But no, it actually creates sustainable long-term uh, economic impact, not only through taxes, but through uh, through dozens of folks that stay at every single plant along the, along the pathway. Yeah, we actually have a project right now. Um, a first phase of it just went online in Texas. And, um, you know, under, in that facility itself, there's about 500 people working on it under construction, and then they'll move. I mean, what's interesting is you're right. The construction jobs are where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. But what's mm -hmm. good is they then move to our next project, and then they move to right. the next project. And we have three projects behind it that they're going to continue to work on. And they've been they've built that skill. They are able to be efficient, and you know they're safe and reliable. And so we're able to kind of keep moving them. And so they do have that consist consistent opportunity. And then in addition, you're absolutely right. We have the operations teams. We have the asset management teams. You have my team on the power marketing side that's going to continue to supply and, and manage those kind of short-term positions as well as the long-term contracting. So I agree. There's, there's a diverse uh, set of jobs out there. Well, Emily, we're going to bring Audrey up next. We'll bring you back up in just a few moments. But thank you so much for that input. And we'll see you in a few minutes. Sounds good. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity. You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. 
Next up, we have Audrey Lee. I've recently gotten to know Audrey through my own involvement in Clean Energy for Biden. Audrey is uh, on the board of Gridworks and is the co-chair of Clean Energy for Biden and has a, a long track record in uh, from working for uh, governmental agencies on policy, uh, all clear through to transitioning into the renewables industry and working at some of the highest levels uh, of executive uh, input in, in, the, in the energy business, uh, and particularly in solar. Uh, Audrey, it's so good to have you here on the Career Summit. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Audrey, you represent, as I said, a fantastic example of someone who's uh, with a diverse work background, uh, transitioning into uh, and moving up into executive functions within our industry. Your deep policy work and engineering background have placed you in key analytical roles in particular. What do you see as the pathway for more folks from high tech, computer science, and even government sectors to pursue clean energy careers in this next decade-long boom that Abby so eloquently expressed for us. Yeah, I definitely agree. There's there's so much work we need to do to decarbonize our entire infrastructure. So we really need all we need all skills to come to the table. Um, yeah, my background my background's in applied physics and electrical engineering. And 20 years ago, when I was in graduate school, the thing to do was make faster computers, which wasn't that interesting to me. I wanted to work more on society's more pressing problems. Um, so I really got into public policy, um, you know, worked at the Department of Energy and the California Public Utilities Commission. Um, and it was nice because I think there was a need for more quantitative skills in government, in policymaking, um, to really understand the impacts of these policies and how effective they could be to decarbonize. Um, but making that switch from policy to industry was actually not, not simple, not easy, um, because most people in the private sector don't necessarily understand the skills that you have from the regulatory side. And so, um, you know, I never had the title business development or product development on my resume, having been in government. And so people didn't really know what to do with me. Um, yeah. And so I went to a startup, actually. And at a startup, you get to wear many hats. You get to prove yourself. Um, you get to, you know, you have to have multiple skills and kind of pitch in wherever it's needed. Um, so that was kind of my entree in. Uh, but I think there's more understanding, especially in our industry, which is so regulated, um, that in order to do the business development or the product development, you have to have a strong, you have to understand the regulatory environment and the market structures that you operate in. Um, so I think there's more awareness about how all these things intersect. Um, and as you said, my background has been um, on the private side uh, in the customer sided area. So it's been really fun for me to understand both commercial and residential customers based on my experience at AMS um, and then on the residential side at Sunrun. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm currently, I have the luxury, I'm really fortunate right now, I'm kind of taking some time off to explore, which I had never done before. I just kind of was afraid of a gap in my resume and jump from one thing to another. Um, but, you know, I want to find, I want to find the perfect job. And, and it's, and hopefully I can kind of share my experience in going through looking, you know, looking for what to do next, um, as, as Lynn Jurek, the CEO of Sunrun, used to say, you know, what's what's your zone of genius? You know, figuring out what what you're really good at and applying that um, and what's important for you in your next job. And so for me, you know, I really, as I said, I like that intersection of market development with policy. How do you develop the product or the service to fit within those opportunities? And then the business development, you know, how do you, what are the business models um, that are possible when you, when you think about that? Um, and then also the, the culture of a company, you know, how, you know, I know that I thrive in a more collaborative, th collaborative culture and a company that's in a growth stage, which is definitely the clean energy space. Um, a lot of growth is, as you were saying, um, in a fast, in a fast pace. Um, so that was just, that was advice that was given to me, just, just write down like what you're looking for. It seems, seems very simple, but that has, that has helped steer me, um, in terms of what, what I want to do next. Yeah. And I wanted to have uh, you on in the conversation, not only because of the executive roles that you've had, but your willingness to say, I'm taking a pause. And while taking a pause, I'm leaning into a cause that I believe in, that being clean energy for Biden. Um, it's how we got to know each other when I was approached for uh, the North Carolina contingent, um, working hard on that swing state. Um, uh, I am, I'd love to uh, hear 
because, uh, well, perhaps folks don't, aren't familiar with uh, clean energy for Biden. So if you would share what it is and because it is implicitly in support of the Biden campaign, uh, would you highlight some of the key components that, uh, that benefit or will benefit the clean energy community should Biden uh, succeed in November? Yeah, sure. Happy to. So um, I'm a co-chair of Clean Energy for Biden. And, you know, just to be clear, Clean Energy for Biden was a group of business leaders and advocates that just came together. We're not affiliated with the Biden campaign. We don't I don't I don't speak for the Biden campaign today. Um, I just want to make that clear. Um, But we were brought together for really three simple goals to to fundraise, to get out the vote and win this election and to um, help develop policy. and, and we, you know, coordinate and talk to the campaign, of course. Um, really proud. We started just in April, right before Earth Day. We have more than 5,000 members now, um, 650 active volunteers across the country. I think we have like 20 state and affinity teams. We've raised more than $1.2 million. Um, and, and, you know, speaking to diversity, we have affinity teams like the energy, uh, the equity, excuse me, equity, inclusion and diversity team, women groups, uh, but also industry groups like clean energy um, and then it's and organized in swing states as well. Uh, I think the Biden plan, um, personally, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's very impressive. He's committed. You can look on his Web page. The details are all there. Um, but he's committed to a two trillion dollar accelerated investment in clean energy. Um, there's there's jobs all over it. That's a very big piece of the plan um, in terms of the electricity sector. Um, Biden is committed to. Um, get carbon f- pollution free power sector by 2035. So, you know, you have RPS standards across states, you have um, carbon free um, commitments across states like in California, but this is quite um, aggressive, I think, and very progressive uh, on, on, on the part of the Biden campaign. Um, and then, you know, as I said, we have, there's so much work to decarbonize our infrastructure. And so, you know, taking transportation in the auto industry, Biden is planning to create a million new jobs in the American auto industry, um, upgrading 4 million buildings and weatherizing 2 million homes, which will create a million good paying jobs. Uh, and then even in the, um, in the uh, oil and gas industry, you know, there are opportunities to plug abandoned oil and natural gas wells and reclaim mm-hmm. abandoned coal mines. Um, and those those could create up to you know, 250,000 jobs. So it's really exciting how expansive um, and progressive the, the Biden uh, platform is. It, it is indeed. And uh, we are excited to have uh, to have the opportunity to uh, you know, one of the things that I uh, have been having conversations in private with with friends is um, we have a, a lot of folks tend to focus on uh, the presidency and who gets into the Oval Office. Uh, but I think uh, broadly as an industry, we have such a phenomenal opportunity down ballot to find uh, representatives and senators across the aisles that are advocates for clean energy. Um, statistically, there are more clean energy jobs created in uh, Republican than Democratic states. Um, and we know that there are staunch advocates for clean energy in, um, in, Republican, uh, in the Republican Party. So uh, I don't want viewers to think that we are only, uh, that we're advocating necessarily a Democratic platform here. We're not, uh, but we are highlighting a, uh, an example of a leader who uh, has a deep commitment to the clean energy industry, and that's something that's meaningful for all of us. Yeah, I, I you know totally agree with that point, and and we're coordinating and and working with other groups. So, as an example, make a plug for uh, climatechangemakers.org, which is a bipartisan um, group that is supporting down ballot candidates um, across many many states, and and very volunteer driven. So, if you're interested, you know, build up a team and start supporting. Um, and you know, I was on a phone banking call, uh, phone banking session last night for for Arizona. You know, really important, wow. um, uh, not only House and Senate race, races, but also um, state state um, legislature races as well. Um, yeah. So there's there's so much, and and by you know the Biden's going to need um, support on the legislative level um, to get these this ambitious plan plan pass. So much Absolutely. work to do. Great opportunity. If, you know, if you're between jobs, if you can, you know, even just to know an hour a week um, to, to volunteer, 
uh, on this. And, and it's not something I've done before. <laughs> I'm on the grassroots growth team and never done grassroots growth organizing or phone banking or get out the vote before. Um, but it's been a ton of fun to learn and also just really good to network within the industry, right? I mean, yeah. being able to work with 650 other leaders in the clean energy industry, especially if you are looking to get into the industry or find a job, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the best way to, to do that. Yeah, I'll note that some of the some of the folks I know in key leadership roles uh, had volunteer positions and showed themselves um, very efficient with time, resources and uh, energy uh, in the Obama campaign. Uh, I mean, there are countless examples in key leadership roles in the solar and uh, broader energy business right now. Uh, well, Audrey, we will come back in a few moments with everyone on stage for now. going to say goodbye. I'll be right back with you. And we are going to bring up Erica Simmons from Grid Alternatives. Hi, Erica. How are you? Hey, Nico. Thanks for having us today. Uh, really Adam. wonderful to be with this great group. Absolutely. Erica's VP of Workforce Development and Service Learning at Grid Alternatives. For those of you who are not familiar, Grid Alternatives is a, uh, a super well-respected not-for-profit in the United States that does grassroots work to get solar on roofs of uh, of the of the in, the of homes in the U.S. That are for underserved populations. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. Erica's role specifically is around workforce initiatives to ensure that solar career opportunities are accessible to individuals and communities of concern the same way that GRID wants solar to be accessible to individuals in those same communities. Uh, Erica, I am uh, I'm really honored to be able to have a conversation with you because I have such a deep respect for the work that Grid does and the focus that you have, which I think is possibly one of the hardest roles uh, at Grid. Um, Grid Alternatives uh, is uh, has has done so much in uh, California and the D.C. area and everywhere in between for elevating the opportunity for folks who um, who want to get into solar to get up on a roof and figure out how to turn a wrench. Uh, and it doesn't stop there. Uh, you, you provide such an opportunity for a meaningful career for folks. Can you give me a sense of that missional focus and grid and the impact of diversity, equity, and inclusion and job creation potential uh, as seen from the rooftops of grid alternatives? Yeah. And uh, you know, that focus really started from our beginnings as our founders recognized um, if there wasn't deep uh, intention uh, behind making sure folks who are of lower income have um, access to solar, then it wasn't going to happen. Um, so they started fundraising, recruiting homeowners, getting contractors to volunteer, um, and through through years of work, eventually influenced policy um, that has brought uh, specific low income solar programs to um to to different states and municipalities um so when i talk about that uh, that intention um it is really important um in the space of equity uh diversity and inclusion uh without attention to it there are systems in place um that are gonna keep some folks having access to uh, to opportunities and other folks uh not um so i really appreciate uh, their vision and what has been naturally able, organically able to grow out of that process. Uh, we went from being solar installers, um, engaging a particular uh, population, uh, to engaging volunteers and becoming a space where folks discover their passion for this uh, this work um, and are able to access careers. Um, and then uh, going into recognizing, oh, snap, like we can actually be real intentional about this training process and who we're recruiting um, into it. It is a very unique thing for folks to get hands-on experience um, and be able to test something out uh, before chasing down and trying to commit to uh, a career path. Um, so we have uh, had a lot of privilege um, in this space and through that privilege have uh, been able to, to see great opportunity. Um, the truth is right now we need a rapid and equitable transition uh, to a world powered by renewable energy and that benefits um, everyone. Um, and we know that when we talk about the recovery um, and clean energy being a part of that, yeah, Definitely. Right. Um, that makes sense. We're in desperate need um, of that uh, of that transition. 
but if we look at the, the benefits, everyone that we say, um, there is a lot um, underneath that that can be missed. Um, so uh, through our policy work and various programs, um, we've been able to see the deep interest um, that our work um, spurs um, through our uh, different programs. And COVID-19 has, you know, been, been hard and detrimental, but it has the benefit of magnifying um, the inequities within our society that need to be a part of the recovery. We're not just recovering from, you know, uh, COVID-19, right? Yeah. There's been ongoing fights um, for, for women's rights, for black rights, for people of color um, to, uh, you know, really have a seat at the table um, and be involved in different levels and leadership opportunities um, as the economy develops and as you know we were just talking about uh government impact right um and as we we uh we build our decision makers um within our um government uh so in regards to what COVID-19 has magnified right we think about the communities that suffer the worst from air pollution due to fossil fuel energy production um and uh you know uh, respiratory illness is going to have um, deeper deeper impact there. We think about the essential workers uh, from nurses and other sports staff at hospitals, grocery store workers. Um, a good amount of those folks are from lower income communities um, and are people of, of color and a lot of, uh, of women. Um, and then when we think about who has, uh, does not have reserved wealth to rely on, in this moment, uh, when there's job scarcity um, or hour reduction, um, same same group of people. Um, so when when I think about recovery um, and clean energy, I'm picturing a recovery that is addressing all those things um, that make COVID nineteen have an impact more on some folks um, than um, on others. Uh, but I think there's uh, there's great news. Uh, one, we're desperate for that accelerated growth of clean energy. Um, and right now in this like, you know, uh, pre, pre-recovery time, there's a ton of policy work and workforce development that could start now to prepare us mm-hmm. for the, uh, the years ahead. And we also really recently had a recession. There are tons of lessons learned um, in that process that we can build off of. Um, and, uh, you know, investment into workforce development has has always been a big part of that um, when we talk about recovery and hopefully it is again um, and we need to make sure uh, clean energy is a part of that and we hope by doing the work that we do at grid we're able to amplify the intersections of all these things and get folks uh, focused um, on including many factors into the development of our um, of our industry um, there's so many talented people who are overlooked for, for job opportunities, um, folks who would be great entrepreneurs who just can't get the financing uh, to, uh, to do so. And I really hope that this moment in time where we have the COVID crisis, but we also have the major uprising bringing attention uh, to racial inequalities in this country, that we're able to ride that wave as long as possible um, to, to create change. Um, and it's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be in an organization where we're trying to tackle um, a lot of that in partnership with uh, with great organizations and, and companies um, in the game. Yeah. And partnership you do. Uh, as I've been in the industry since 2006, I've had the opportunity to go up on rooftops with Grid. Uh, when I was uh, at Trina, uh, we donated modules. Uh, the way that Grid has partnered with the industry to bring resources to communities of need is remarkable. And uh, I'm going to, I have a follow on question for you. And before I ask it, I'm going to go ahead and bring Abby and Emily and Audrey back to the stage. Cause I know they've all had similar experiences with grid and I want to be the only one who gets to uh, have all the fun uh, on the mic, but I would like to ask you a quick question around specifically around workforce development. So Grid has served as a place where industry participants and those who want to get into the industry 
uh, can volunteer. It's one of the ways, the pathways that I often express for folks. If they want to actually know what it's like to turn a wrench, they can volunteer at Grid in many different cities across the U.S. and get that hands-on experience. Um, can you give us a sense of ways in which the Grid Workforce Development Program has helped to elevate folks into full-time positions, not volunteer positions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, one way is through relationships with employers. Um, so we actually kind of got hinted to the fact that, oh, we can, we can, we can actually be doing something this when employers started to come to us and say, Hey, I hear y'all train people. And we're like, Oh yeah, we train volunteers every day. So that was the impetus for us to, to think larger. And we continue to build relationships with employers, um, understand employer needs, um, in regards to skill sets. Um, and, uh, continue to make those connections through direct referrals, through job fairs, through our resume bank. Um, additionally, uh, we create jobs internally. Uh, when I came onto Grid, we were about uh, just under 100 people. We're over 300 now. Um, and so many of our uh, team members come through our training programs um, including our year-long solar core fellowship. Um, and we've got about three vice pres- uh, three VPs um, in our organization who were originally fellows uh, with us. Um, so uh, we are kind of creating our own workforce and then uh, being able to, uh, to connect to, uh, to other organizations uh, and, and their workforces. Uh, additionally, uh, when we talk about like the general volunteer, there's some volunteers who come who already have a network, have a lot of work experience, um, and could probably get the job anyhow, but being with Grid and getting that experience is, is good. Um, there are other folks who honestly are discriminated against in the job search process. Um, so by us providing the experience and skill development to help those individuals stand out from the crowd, and I'm talking women who are underestimated in the construction space, I'm talking folks who are returning from incarceration, who are totally discriminated against um, and not trusted uh, and are full of talent, by the way. Um, and I'm talking about young adults, right? Just just starting out, um, happen to be black or brown, um, happen to not necessarily fit into the culture um, of existing companies. Um, when we're able to build skills up to the point where they can't be ignored um, and can be seen as an asset, um, that helps folks transition into those uh, full-time opportunities. That's great. Um, so actually, I have a good example of uh, working with Grid Alternatives. Uh, LightSource BP recently worked together with Grid Alternatives for the project that I was mentioning earlier, Big Barn Solar, which is a 300 megawatt project in Colorado. And we actually did uh, a job fair, a job training uh, collaborating with Grid Alternatives and, um, you know, specific to solar. And I think that was a great example of, you know, industry coming together with a nonprofit and working with the community and providing that, you know, closing that gap. Sometimes, you know, having to travel hundreds of miles to get to a job training facility is a real problem and being able to provide it in that local community was really important to us. And that's something that we're looking to replicate across the U.S. and across globally, um, one of the other things that we're doing is we actually are working with a group called Root and Rebound, which specifically addresses, um, you know, people that are incarcerated and coming out of incarceration. And sometimes, you know, it, it is amazing to see that they'll have these amazing abilities and, you know, they'll create, you know, for instance, they're part of our uh, fire relief in California, but then they can't get a job afterwards. And so we're trying to see if we can connect those two organizations, Red Alternatives, us, and Root and Rebound and see if we can create some sort of job um, equity or job opportunities as people start to come out. So we are looking, I think it's huge effort uh, to, address, uh, to address communities of color and um, address people that haven't had the opportunity to be exposed, even to opportunities like this, you know, listening into conferences, having the capability to have the time or even the resources like the internet to, to be able to access uh, job opportunities like this. So we're trying to close that gap and work with amazing companies like Grid. 
And while yeah. you made the plug for Roots and Rebound, I know there's some folks uh, watching who are in the HR space. Uh, they have great resources on their website to help you understand more around laws of, uh, you know, creating access to jobs for, for folks who were formerly incarcerated and they break it down state by state. So definitely do check that out as a resource. Yeah. yeah. Great. They're a great resource. One thing that I wanted to also highlight um, in contrast with the sort of the roots level bottoms up work that is being done at workforce development and training at grid and, uh, and other organizations similar uh, the, our own department of energy is helping create uh, pockets of influence as it were. Abby, you were recently included as an ambassador in the Ener equity and energy ambassador program from the DOE's office of economic impact and diversity. Uh, what can you tell us about how, Organizations, uh, government organizations like Department of Energy in this program uh, are helping uh, not only improve job opportunities, but in, in, increase the general level of diversity available to, uh, to hiring companies. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. I think, um, first of all, I just want to add my voice to the praise of GRID and the incredible work that GRID does. They're an important partner for us as well. And so, Erica, thank you. You've always been a great ally and and colleague, and I appreciate your commitment to that work. Um, right, and I appreciate that, yeah, I hear you. That interconnected, right? The sort of the, the racial justice crisis we're facing, the economic crisis we're facing, and the climate crisis. And you know, we have the the ability to solve all three if we do it intentionally. Um, I think so much of this work happens at the grassroots level, right? You just heard about these incredible organizations that are working on the ground with people. I think kind of the federal government has a role. Uh, but a role, not a, you know, they don't need to come in and tell communities of color what to do, uh, but they can be enablers and providers of support. And so um, I, you know, I have been involved with the Department of Energy thinking about how can they bring, in two ways, how can they bring their incredible resources to funding some, if there's work that needs to be done, if there's training that needs to be done, we co-partner with Solar Foundation and actually the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on a Vets Ready, Solar Vets Ready program, right? So there are, there are ways in which those resources can be brought to bear in local communities. Um, and so understanding what the needs are, understanding what the data is, right? You, you referenced the data. The data doesn't come out of nowhere and it costs money to go figure out. We do both on the job census, but we also have a diversity study in particular. And so the federal government can help us with that. There's some great legislation, hasn't passed yet, hasn't passed all the way through, but around workforce development and creating some of those um, those funding sources. But there's also a really interesting conversation happening at places like DOE and other places about what are some of the, um, what look like sort of race neutral obstacles that are in the way? So for example, like the check the box, right? Like, the, so, you know, if you have to check the box, if you have been incarcerated or convicted of a crime, that's, that that has, can have different implications for different people, but maybe, you know, it doesn't say what color is your skin or like the, the DOE grants, you have to be already sort of authorized and sort of in this whole system that if you can't figure out how to work this, work, literally get in that system, you're never going to be eligible to apply for a DOE grant. And so thinking about some of those structural barriers, I think is a really good place for federal government leadership and Department of Energy leadership. And so that's partly uh, why I have um, you know, chosen to invest. I love what you said, Nico, my, my one non-renewable asset, my time. <laughs> really, really, really particular about how I spend my time. And that is certainly, that's a topic worth spending some time on. <laughs> it is indeed our only non-renewable resource. And we often say that on the podcast. Um, you know, we, we all have um, investments that we can make of time, attention. Uh, I'd love to hear uh, generally how, uh, how you see or what, what call you might make to our industry for how uh, folks that are already sitting in a position, you know, we all have jobs in some sort in the industry. How might we help others who are, who are seeking uh, to get into the business? Uh, obviously, we've got great examples from Grid. Uh, Audrey, I'd love to know from your perspective maybe to start, and we've got about 10 minutes here before we wrap, uh, even your own search, uh, is there, uh, how do you see that, uh, that advocacy for others and making uh, an attempt to 
how do we make the industry more uh, attractive or more aware and apparent to folks uh, that are otherwise you know, coding cat videos to get more likes on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's, um, there's a little bit of... Um, People are not sure how easy it is to get into the clean energy industry. I mean, I, I take I take every call. Anyone who reaches out to me who wants to ask um, about how to get in and advice, I take every, you know, I'll, I'll schedule any meeting. Um, I think, you know, as I said before, getting involved in clean energy for Biden has been a great way to network. Uh, I'll make a plug for uh, Climate Careers. It's a dedicated um, job hosting website for people, especially getting, trying to get in from tech into um, clean energy and climate change work um, as well. I think it's it's definitely growing um, and there's a lot of opportunity. I think as a, as a person who's hired teams, you know, when I hire a software developer or project manager, I don't look necessarily look for a background in clean energy, but I do look for a passion. Are they asking questions? Are they interested in learning about the complicated regulatory structures that we have and the rules that we have? And are they willing to kind of dive in even though they don't have that background? I think showing that passion is probably the most important part of um, that interviewing process. Yeah, I think for uh, someone that I, I mentioned earlier that we're hiring like crazy and in particular in my team, um, you know, across the U.S., um, I have been a big advocate for ensuring that we have the right pool of candidates. And so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the best way to hire is to tap into your network. And I'm sorry, I disagree. Like, I think you can tap into your network, but you also have to tap into other people's networks and you have to you have to consciously make the effort to expand your network and to push and make sure that that first pool is very diverse because everybody's like, well, I couldn't find a woman. You know, I had, you know, five of my finalists were men. And it's like, well, how many did you start with? Oh, there was like three women at the, in the beginning. And I'm like, okay, well, that's your fundamental problem. Like you're, you're, you're already ruling people out. Well, how many people of color? Oh, well, you know, we couldn't find anybody. And we're too, it's too timely. And so it's too urgent. We've got to get this deal done. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, but this is a, you know, you're hiring for the long run. Yes, you might have a near term urgent need, but you're also hiring for the long run. And yes, that person might not be in your network at the end of the day. Like you're going to be making a bigger difference in the community, a bigger difference to the company when you're introducing more diversity. And so I actually have regularly, I'm not joking. I have regularly rejected I've said, no, I'm not interviewing this person until you get me more um, diverse candidates. I will say, no, I will not accept that this group will, you know, I will not approve that this person can get hired until we have a better diverse of candidates. So I think you have to be, as a hiring manager, it is our responsibility to push back and say it's not okay until you find that right group. I'm not saying every time you're going to have a diverse hire, but it's our responsibility to push beyond just what's, you know, what's easiest. Even if everybody's really busy, it's still taking that extra time. And just like everybody said today, it's our time, but it's important to use that time wisely. Uh, and I, I'd like to throw in a little extra there. Uh, first of all, for example, you know, it's wonderful to have a leader of an industry association, right? Um, like Abby, who is, is out there and vocal, right? And kind of actively, you know, recruiting for the industry um, just through her presence and, uh, and voice. Uh, we host a lot of job fairs and this is in line with what you were saying, Emily. And sometimes when we call a company, they're like, oh, we're not hiring right now. And I'm like, then that's the perfect time um, <laughs> to, uh, to get out and converse and let folks know you exist and collect some resumes so that the next time you are hiring, you already have a tap um, into, into people. Um, there are, as we, as we look at the, the fossil fuel industry um, and, the, and the solar industry, one, the fossil fuel industry, you know, has been around a long time. It's really big, already has these connections with, with colleges, um, including colleges that are predominantly um, of color or women. Um, and I think we as an industry have to step into those spaces and talk about the college level, uh, make sure folks know we exist, right? So that they can plan their studies towards, uh, towards working with us. Uh, and down to elementary, we talk about planning for the long-term. We need to engage these young folks so they know, um, you know, clean energy is, is where they're, uh, they're going. So I think investment in education spaces, um, I've seen that be helpful um, and think we need to, uh, to do uh, more of that. Um, I lost my last point, so I'll leave it there. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I think as an example in the clean energy for Biden's work, we started with a group of people that was my our network, which was all California. We're like, we can't win this election by recruiting California <laughs> folks. How do, and then I reached out to Nico in North Carolina. Like, how do we get swing states? And then I think going further, it's not it's not just about you know my like white collar professional network. It's about white collar. It's about blue collar. And then it's not even about just clean energy folks to win this election. It's about the friends and family of the clean energy workforce that we need to get everyone involved. So even on the volunteer nonprofit side, the same thing. You, I love what Emily said. You can't just depend upon your own network. So you have to constantly push yourself to really expand the circle. And it's really exciting to see climate change, you know, having worked in this industry for 20 years, to see finally climate change at the forefront of people's minds. And I think we need to really push that momentum um, and get this done, get our, get our uh, infrastructure decarbonized. I would say one thing, and Nico, I know you want to ask us one last question, but just on this question of network, um, you know, thinking about the audience and if, if there are job seekers out there, um, I agree wholeheartedly with Emily that we can't rely on our own networks, but the networks we do have are incredibly valuable resources. And so being willing to share them with others who don't necessarily have access to them is, is a gift that we can give. And so to the folks watching and on the phone, I mean, this is an incredibly accessible group of people, right? We all have titles after our names, but uh, we're super, yeah, I was just tweeting while I was sitting here, <laughs> Nico likes it, but, <laughs> but we're really easy to find and we're really um, happy to help you and share those networks, right? It is a, it is a really easy thing that we can all do um, to help folks of all, um, from all walks of life come into our industry. Okay, Nico, ask us your last question, friend. You're on mute again. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, actually, you brought up something that has been missed throughout uh, so far throughout the entire summit, uh, and that is the incredible value of Twitter. And so Abby knows for sure there's a hashtag called Energy Twitter, and it the number of people who are legit industry cred, who are also deep analysts and real thinkers about how this industry is moving forward, who respond and regularly monitor energy Twitter. Uh, if I gave you, if I, I think it's possibly my number one like networking hack right now is follow and engage with folks on Twitter that are using energy Twitter because there is a lot of discussion and dialogue uh, and it's been co-opted as clean energy Twitter, even though it's not clean energy Twitter. Um, so I love that. I have one final question for y'all as we wrap out. And I'm so honored and grateful for this conversation. There's been uh, a, a ton of, um, of insight for me and learning. Um, but we'll go in uh, my screen reverse order. So Audrey, Emily, Addie, and Erica, what is your one wish for 2021 with regards to clean energy? Audrey. Shouldn't be a surprise. A new, a new presidential president administration. <laughs> Fantastic, Emily. Um, that we come out of the kind of niche world and we become the force that we can be and uh, really make a difference. Indeed, Abby. I would say that the the momentum and desire for change evidenced by the Black Lives Matter movement and sort of our reckoning with racial justice is not a moment in time, but really um, becomes pervasive throughout our industry. Yeah. Great. And last but not least, Erica. Uh, yeah, we see some uh, great investment um, in financing for, uh, for women-owned and people of color-owned companies um, so that they can grow in advance. And I want to give a shout out to everybody on here who's thinking about a transition uh, to uh, to clean energy, we need all skill sets. Follow the advice about reaching out to the network. Have those one on one conversations. Um, there's a space for you here. Yeah, indeed, there is a space for you here, and there are a lot of disaggregated resources. We try at Suncast to bring them together in one place, and I think my wish for 2021 is that we figure out where mentorship can happen. There are so many wonderful resources, um, and maybe we'll try to figure out how to consolidate those resources. Uh, LinkedIn is a great one. As uh, our guests have said, find them on LinkedIn, find them on Twitter and engage. This is your opportunity. Uh, they are real human beings who like to engage with others. They're not just a name and a title and a picture on LinkedIn. Uh, I, for one, am, uh, am tremendously uh, grateful and thankful that 
you all gave of your time here today. Uh, as I wrap this session, I'm going to say goodbye to you guys and, uh, and have you wait in the green room. Uh, but this has been fantastic. Bye. <laughs> One last bye-bye there from, uh, from Emily. Thank you all for joining us for this, the second session of the day for the Suncast Clean Energy Summit. We have a fantastic lineup for you to check out, and you can do that at Suncast Career Summit. Dot com. Uh, we have uh, a whole. We've got a couple of sessions here in the afternoon and an evening networking session. Again, last night's networking session was phenomenal. Uh, it was a small and but mighty uh, crew of folks asking deep questions about how to grow in this business. Uh, remember, as uh, as we have on the Chiron, you can go to suncastcareersummit.com not only to check out more sessions but to register if you haven't, uh, and there you'll get access to uh, our. You'll get an email inviting you to join. The Suncast Tribe, which is our circle of, of energy insiders and also folks who are trying to get inside of the clean energy business. Uh, I don't know how I made that come about, but that actually uh, exists as a community. And I, and I came up with that somehow that, that uh, elegant way of saying it. Uh, it's exclusive access to our speakers and our participants, as well as our job board, our candidate pool, and uh, so much more inside. Uh, and as a thank you for joining the community, you can get uh, regardless of ticket level, you can get secret access to our networking sessions. Um, thank you once again, finally, to our sponsors, LightSource BP, Soul Systems, Solaris, PVEL, uh, Amicus, Dylan Green, Ecologic, Extensible, uh, Solar Energy International, Solar Power Energy Trade Shows, Tom the Octopus, PV Buzz, and PV Magazine for helping make all of this uh, come to fruition. We're so grateful for you. And once again, and lastly, thanks for investing that non-renewable resource, which is your time. Uh, we are grateful for it, and we hope to get more of it. That's a wrap on this conversation, Warrior, but I do hope that we'll see you back here on Thursday for this week's long-form interview. I also encourage you to check out other episodes of Suncast and let me know what you think of these shorter-form discussions. Do you want more like this? We've got hundreds of episodes, resources, and highlights from these discussions, along with the social media links for each episode guest, book recommendations, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe exclusive emails or even joining our exclusive inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I do so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. And a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as learn more about becoming a sponsor if that's something that you're interested in. You can follow the links there as well to any of the offers that we've discussed about any of our sponsors here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.